Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right. Good morning, Mercy Church. It's so good to be here with you today in Charlotte, North Carolina. God does answer prayers. I've officially made it. I hope my mom's watching this. Look, Ma, I'm in Charlotte. I come from the beautiful metropolitan area of Hillsborough, North Carolina, where there's a whopping 7,000 people that live there. And I am so honored to be here with you. So grateful for the work that you all do, the body of Christ. So glad that I can say we are locking arms together as believers and uh, so thankful uh, for our friend and our brother, Pastor Spence. Can y'all praise God for Pastor Spence Shelton? All the leaders, elders here, this campus and location. I, I'm so excited uh, to be here. Thankful for my wife. I uh, just want to clarify her name is April, not Ashley, because uh, he said, hey, you said Ashley, brother. Uh, don't get me in any type of trouble. My wife's name is April. <laughs> Babe, I told him April, it's close, it's, it's close, but you're still my number one love. Thank God for you. <laughs> Uh, uh, but uh, I, I want to start here just a moment, a moment of prayer, if that's okay with you. Uh, let us all pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your incredible love and kindness. God, I thank you that you desire, you desire to be with us. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, Lord. Above all, we want to know your heart. We want to know your desire. God, I pray as always, God, that you would make me as this microphone, that I would simply magnify the things you've said into me. God, open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to receive your word, Lord. Let us not just be hearers of your word, but God, also doers of your word. Father, I pray that this word would be good seed sown into our hearts, that it's good soil that would produce a harvest in our lives. And God, do it for your glory. God, we want to leave today knowing how great and awesome that you are, that we are humbled to be with you through your incredible son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Now, now let me just kind of set my time up together with you. I, I am a, uh, a chocolate Baptocostal preacher, uh, which simply means I need a timer to tell me how long I have, which means I need interaction taught back to me, amen, ouch, oh, that's good, sir. Any of those things will work. But, but I, I want to make sure today you understand when I say I'm Baptocostal, meaning I have Baptist theology and Pentecostal expression. This may be a very charismatic message today. And I know we just met, but, but I'm going to start today with something that I hate. I know we just met. I passed Spencer, we're family, but, but I want to start out today letting you know there's a few things that I hate. I want to tell you one thing that I cannot stand. This one thing is really going to set up our time today. This one thing I'm sure you hate. It's on almost every commitment that they ask us for. And it's this little thing called terms and conditions. 
Have you ever purchased something online or downloaded an app or, or you went to go purchase something at the store and right before they ask for all of your money, way more than they deserve, they ask you to check off this little box called what? Terms and conditions. It's the most erroneous, ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. I've already committed my money. Why do you need terms and conditions? These terms and conditions are used to, to do what? Not protect us as the buyer, really to protect the company, the organization that's selling. And I can't stand it because they make you check this box. I'm in a rush. I have things to do. And nowadays, this was really good now online. I don't know if any of you noticed, but now they make you read through all the terms and conditions. They actually make you scroll down the screen. They won't even let you check the box. I like to just rush past it, skip over it, check the box so I can make my purchase. I have things to do, other stuff to buy, kids to feed. I got that group thing I'm supposed to go to every week. I got a Bible to study. I got stuff to do. They make me want to sign these terms and conditions. How many of y'all hate the terms and conditions? Somebody be honest. I like all seven of you. Listen, it's so important that we, we sign these terms and conditions so we can make the purchase. There was a movie that came out in 2013 that said this. It said that it was actually called Terms and Conditions May Apply. In 2013, they, they noted that the average American would probably have to read through 180 hours worth of terms and conditions if they read all the terms and conditions they agreed to. 180 hours. Yes, for those of you all that were judging me for not reading my terms and conditions, that's exactly why. I don't have time for that. But many of us, we commit to these terms and conditions, not understanding, not knowing what exactly we are agreeing to. And here it is that I found that in the same way that some of us check that little box called terms and conditions because we want to purchase something, we want to have something so bad that we don't read through the fine print, we, we, we don't look at the details, we make a commitment. Some of us have done the same thing with Jesus Christ. That we signed up for a relationship with God, but we didn't read the terms and conditions. We, we were so eager to be helped. We were so eager to be blessed. We were so eager to be freed of this pain that we're dealing with, with the struggle that we're in, with this addiction that we have, that we did not read the terms and conditions. And, and today, I really want to talk about this because some people have found it hard sometimes to walk with Christ because they didn't read the terms and conditions. And today, my whole idea, my whole point is for you to understand how important it is that you know the terms and conditions. I want to make sure you know what you signed up for when you walk with Christ. And so here it is, our main idea today. Our main idea is simply this. A commitment to Christ requires a commitment to his cross. Write it down if you can. I tell my church all the time, good students take notes. A commitment to Christ Demands a commitment to his cross. Here it is that, that your commitment is going to cost you something. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said that we should count the cost of our commitment to Christ. I, I want you to ponder on these questions just for a moment. Did you ponder, did you think, did you count the cost before you came to Jesus? Did, did you consider what may be asked of you when you came to Christ? Or were you only concerned about what you needed? See, most people are committed to the comfort of being blessed 
but not the burden of having to reach the lost. Many of us want to follow Jesus as the Savior until he reminds us that we're called and we're committed to be servants. Some find the comfort in community until we have to deal with the discomfort of accountability. A lot of people want the resurrection. Not everybody wants the sacrifice of crucifixion. See, there is a cost with everything. Every commitment that you have, we must know about anything else that when you commit to Christ, we're going to see today that we are also committing to the cross, that when we walk with Christ, it's not designed to be comfortable. I'm going to say it again. It's not designed to always be comfortable. In our culture, in our context, we live for comfort. We want everything to be comfortable. I get so disappointed when I fly Delta and I don't get to ride in Comfort Plus. You mean there were no more Comfort Plus seats available? How am I going to make it all the way to Atlanta from Raleigh-Durham, 49 minutes? How will I bear? I want comfort. I want convenience. And I'm here to tell you this morning that your walk with Christ, your commitment to Christ is not a walk of comfort and convenience. It's a walk of surrender. Write this down if you can. One of the things I tell my church is that salvation does not come absent of assignment. Write it down if you can. Salvation does not come absent of assignment. You have an assignment, and that assignment is going to demand commitment. While you're writing, I've learned this, that every commitment also has a cost. Every commitment always has a cost. Even if it's just opportunity cost, I learned this in microeconomics in school, that you have this opportunity cost, that you lose the opportunity to do something else when you commit and surrender your life to Christ. Every commitment has a cross. And today, I want us to understand anything else, and nothing else you take away, a commitment to Christ requires a commitment to the cross. And I believe we see this in an incredible place in Luke chapter number 8, verse 34, where Jesus Christ he outlines the terms and conditions for many of us. He outlines the terms and conditions. And right here in verse 34, it says this, and calling to the crowd, to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. These are the things that we have to do, and I want to walk through these things very quickly for us to best understand what exactly did we commit to when we came to Christ. And here in our text, we see Jesus sharing uh, here with the disciples and with others, and here comes a place where Jesus begins to share about his sacrifice and his commitment and what it's going to cost him. And he has to break this down. And three times in the text, we see where Jesus actually tells the disciples of what he's going to have to do. And after that, after he tells them that he's going to have to die on the cross, he's going to be rejected, he's going to have to suffer, he reminds them in the same way that you as my disciples, you as my followers, you are going to have to do the same thing. 
Yeah. Did you count the cost? Maybe, maybe you forgot. Maybe you forgot that there was a cost with commitment to Christ. And it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's not always convenient. It's not always pleasant. And today I want to talk about those three terms. I want to talk about three terms that you need to remember, you need to keep in your mind. Is that all right? Now let's talk about these three terms. Here it is. Number one, number one, number one. Good students, take notes. Number one, the first term you got to keep in your heart, keep in your mind, and you got to say this all the time. Say, I'm not first. Oh, pastor, come on. That's, that's the first term that sometimes we forget. I'm not first. It's right here in our text. You heard me right. I'm not first. I know you're saying, but preacher, I came to church for me. I know. I came to church because I had some stuff I needed help with. I, I, I get it. I came, I came to Jesus because I was in trouble. I needed some deliverance. I, I, I'm with you. But when you commit to Christ, one of those terms you got to commit to is saying, I'm not first. It's right here in verse 34. It says then, let's read it again. And calling the crowd to himself, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, here it is, here it is, here it is. He says, let him deny himself. The way I like to say it is, I'm not first. I know this is tough, but this is the first thing that Jesus Christ declares for someone to do if they are going to follow him. You have to deny yourself. I don't know about you guys, but the person I like the most is me. My favorite name is my name. See, here it is that Christ calls us to be selfless in the same way that he was selfless. And, and to be selfless simply means that we don't think less of ourselves, but we think of ourselves less. Simply saying, I'm not first. And here it is, we all struggle with this idea of I'm not first. We're in a culture right now where you are so incredibly important to you. We live in a culture now that we have cell phones that have incredible cameras on both sides. Why? Because we live in a selfie culture. If you find out that somebody took a picture of you and your friends, when you go look at that picture, who was the first person you look for? You. If Pastor Smith came up this morning and said, hey, guys, listen, we thank God for all of you being here today. Uh, but listen, listen, we're not going to have worship service. We're not going to have any songs. No sermon is going to be preached. We're actually going to close out everything. We went and got some biscuit veal biscuits. We're going to go to our neighbors and deliver breakfast and pray for them and share the gospel. Some of you would stop for a minute and say, wait, wait. So when you said we, who exactly do you mean? Because who are you thinking about? And one of the things we have to learn as Christians is we have to embrace this idea of I'm not first. We live in a me first culture. And oftentimes that same culture we come with to Christ. We come to God with a me first attitude. We come to his church with a me first attitude and an observation. But here it is that God says, no, I'm not first. Self-denial is a part of the terms and conditions. You know, the, the tough part of self-denial is the self part. 
<laughs> because I've, I've been denied by others. I've had other people tell me no. I got a great track record of other people telling me no. Skimming back all the way to second grade where I wrote that young lady that letter. Do you like me? Yes or no? Check the box. I'm okay. I've gotten used to other people telling me no. But the person that I have a hard time telling me no is me. And here's what the text says. You have to be willing to deny yourself. Simply saying I'm not first. This is what Jesus did. This is how serious he took it. Let's read a little bit of context here to see exactly what Jesus was trying to say right here. Let's go up to verse 31. Go up in your Bible. Go up to verse 31 and we'll see exactly what happened that led Jesus to saying this whole idea of self-denial. I'm not first. Verse 31 says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wait, wait a minute. Is that what your Bible says? Peter. Okay, let me, let me read it slower. That maybe is. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus. Don't you see that? Let me stop here for a moment. That Peter, the disciple, takes a moment to rebuke Jesus. Okay, you may be saying, Pastor, what in the world uh, does this word rebuke mean? It simply means a sharp disapproval or criticism. Okay, maybe y'all don't get it. Uh, Peter disapproved of Jesus. Come on, Peter, you got to know better than that. Here was his disapproval. His disapproval was that Jesus would have to suffer. His disapproval was that Jesus would say, I'm not first. His disapproval was that Jesus would be killed and rejected. He said, no, Lord, you shouldn't have to be uncomfortable. You shouldn't have to be uh, in this place of, of self-sacrifice. You have, shouldn't have to say, I'm not first. Watch what Jesus responds with towards him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Oh, my goodness. You know, you got to be doing bad when Jesus is looking at you and says, get behind me, Satan. But he said, watch, watch what happens. Watch what happens. He says, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here was the problem. Jesus was telling the disciples that he would have to suffer and be rejected and be killed. And he was saying, I'm not first. And he said, also in the same way, it's going to happen to you. He's modeling for us what we are called to do, what we are called to live our life as. Peter came to rebuke him saying, no, Lord, you won't be killed. You won't suffer. You won't be rejected. And Jesus says, you're not thinking of the things of God. This has convicted me deeply, but you are thinking of the things of man. Every time I try to pursue my own comfort over the sacrifice of Christ in my life, over my sacrifice for the gospel, over my sacrifice for the great commission, I'm probably thinking of man and not thinking of the things of God. Yeah. Have you said I'm not first lately? Have you said I'm not first when it comes to your church? 
Have you said, I'm not first when it comes to the great commission in your community? Have you said, I'm not first, my comforts, my pleasures, my, my perspective, my preferences are not first when it comes to God's work? See, I want you to know this, that sometimes the things of God will get you into some uncomfortable places. It'll get you into some uncomfortable situations. Jesus clarifies this more in Mark chapter number 9, verse 35. He says this, and he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. What does that sound like, that term and condition? I'm not first. He said it again in Mark chapter number 10, verse 43 through 45. It says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be the servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Watch this, church. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is he saying? I'm not first. Jesus constantly shows his disciples this idea of not being first. Here it is. Write this down if you can. This is, the, I think, a really important part for us. Write this down. See, a wrong view of messiahship leads to a wrong view of discipleship. Here's what I'm saying. That if you see Christ's work the wrong way, if you see his life the wrong way, it will affect your life the wrong way. Because the way you follow him is often through the lens by which you see him. If you don't see him as a servant, you won't walk as a servant. If you don't see him as one that suffered, you won't be willing to suffer. If you don't see him as one that led the Great Commission, you won't be one to follow in the Great Commission. And we must see Christ as one that modeled what it looked like to serve. So here's it is. You got to ask this question. What areas of your life are you not saying I'm not first in? What areas of your life are you thinking on the things of man instead of God? See, here it is. This week, I want you to try, before you start thinking about what you want, start asking God, what does he want? See, at least three days this week, make your prayer time. This is going to be tough for some of you. Make your prayer time just completely about seeking out what God wants. I want you to fold up your proverbial wish list, put it in your back pocket, and spend your prayer time saying, God, what exactly do you want? Because I'm not first. Well, Pastor, how in the world do we do this? Here it is. The gospel always reminds us. See, the gospel reminds me that I do not have to be first. This was so freeing for me. The gospel reminds me I do not have to be first on my mind. Here it is. Why? Because I'm already on God's mind. See, I don't have to be worried about me when I know he's worried about me. Okay, I don't have to be worried about what, what's going to happen in my life if I know God is already thinking about me. Matthew 6, 26 says this. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, are you not more valuable than they? I don't have to worry about me being first. Because God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars, I am on his mind. If God had a refrigerator, my picture would be on it. Yeah, the Bible says in Romans 5 and 8 that while we were still sinners, he died. This simply means that he was thinking about me long before I was ever thinking about me. 
The Old Testament calls him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that is our provider. That word provider is broken up into two words, pro and vita, provision. That simply means he sees before. Before I have a need, he has already saw my needs, so I don't have to worry about my needs or my concerns or my desires. I can live my life saying I'm not first. The second, the second term you got to remember in your mind. So number one, I'm not first. Number two, write this down. Number two, a good student take notes. Number two, it's not worth it. Man, I got to roll quickly here. It's not worth it. It's right here in our text, verse 34, Mark chapter number eight. Let's roll. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Write this, watch it, watch it. And he says, and take up his cross. And take up his cross. Take up your cross. I love Luke's account of the same story. He says, he adds a word there. He says, and take up your cross daily. This consistent place of of surrender and sacrifice. And this idea of taking up our cross is actually, for our context, more of a metaphor for commitment to the suffering that was associated with Christ even unto death. Now, this is not simply saying uh, my cross to bear is a burden or an uncomfortable relationship or, or maybe an illness. Those things are happening, but that's not the same thing as taking up your cross. To take up your cross is to willingly take up something that will associate you with Christ and suffering, saying, I'm so committed to Christ, I will suffer for the cause of the gospel. I will endure for the cause of the gospel, even if it calls me to death. So let me see if I can break this down for you. This lets us know that for us, your cross is something that you take up for the cause of Christ. I am doing this for the cause of Christ. I am committed to this. I Here it is. I'm exchanging my comfort for the cross. I am exchanging my comfort for the gospel. I am exchanging my preference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the, the, the cross is uncomfortable. And unfortunately, in our culture, we've made light of it a little bit. See, at this particular time, Pastor Spence, I don't think anybody would have been wearing necklaces with crosses on them. I don't think anyone would have got a tattoo on their arm with a cross in John 3.16 under it, no. <laughs> because at that particular time, a cross represented a very, very painful death it was a very, very painful, excruciating death. Not only that, but it was a humiliating death. It was the worst that could happen. You would be watched by hundreds and thousands of people as they watched you die. And in this particular culture, when Mark is writing this, this was a very literal thing because there were several Christians that followed Christ and committed to being Christians and followers of the way. And because of that, Nero hung them from a cross. At this point in time, maybe the worst thing that can happen for us in our culture is somebody not like your post on Facebook. There was a literal meaning here of taking up your cross daily. We must understand the weight of this cross. Jesus carried his cross. He carried it. He says, I'm committed to dying for the world's sins. 
See, this cross communicates worth and value. I want you to understand this. This cross communicates worth and value. It simply says, I would rather be associated with Christ on a cross in discomfort than the comforts of this world. What have you communicated to Christ lately? Through the cross that you've either taken up, uh, for some of us, the cross we've laid down for to pick up comfort. Yeah, yeah. Jesus models this to us. In Mark 8, 32 through 32, Jesus says, I will have to suffer, surrender, and be killed. And Peter says, no. He doesn't even realize that Jesus is communicating worth to us, communicating our value in his eyes. This is the beautiful thing about the gospel. Jesus lays down his comfort for you and I to take up his cross. He says, my comfort is not worth the people of Mercy Church not to know my father through my sacrifice. Let me see if I can break this down for you. I used to work at CarMax back in the day in Greensboro, North Carolina. I went to, I graduated from North Carolina A&T State University. Aggie Pride out there for those y'all watching. Uh, um, listen, so, so I, I, I was, oh, some Aggies? No? Okay. So, so I, I worked at CarMax and I used to work in the sales department and I worked in the business office and working at CarMax, every now and then there would be people come and you can sell your car to CarMax, right? You can sell your car to CarMax. They will give you a check for your car. The problem is that most people come into the CarMax thinking they know how much their car is worth. You have done it. And most times we go to Kelly Blue Book. Kelly Blue Book. People that work at CarMax hate Kelly Blue Book. Let me tell you why. Because they're liars. If you work at Kelly Blue Book, I love you. Uh, uh, here, here it is. So you will come in essentially. I'll have somebody come in and say, uh, Mr. Brooks, uh, I, I have uh, Kelly Blue Book says my car is worth $5,000. Oh, great. Well, let us appraise the value of the car. We'll take it down and, and we'll put our information in. So I'll go put the information in and then we'll come back 30 minutes later. And uh, I say, well, guess what, uh, sir? Uh, your, your car appraisal has come back from our appraisers and they're ready to buy your car. Let's see how much they're willing to give you for it. And they'll come back and give a number and say, hey, listen, according to CarMax, your car is worth $500. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Kelly Bluebook said my car was worth $5,000. And I said, listen, you have to understand how we determine worth and value. Worth and value is only determined by what somebody will give up to have it. I miss what I said. If your car, if someone is only willing to give you $500 for your car, then your car is only worth $500. Now, you can do your best and call Kelly Blue Book and ask them to write you a check for $5,000, but you can't do that because there's no headquarters for Kelly Blue Book, and they won't ever write you a check for $5,000, so your car is only worth $500. Here it is, church, in the same way for us. Our value is not determined by what other people say about us. No, our value on the flip side says that what was given up for me tells me how much I'm worth. When Jesus Christ gave up his comfort, that tells me how much I'm worth. My identity, my value, and my worth is not found in anybody else. It's not found in anything else. My identity and value is found at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus simply said, it's not, God help me, it's not worth it. 
Mark chapter number 8, verse 35 to 38 says, For who will ever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For what whoever is ashamed of me, of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father, the holy angels? What is all this worth? What is your comfort worth? If you deny him before this adulterous generation, he says, I'll deny you before my father. This is what's crazy about this text. This text tells us that, that when we deny Christ by not picking up our cross, we're forfeiting our soul. Our soul isn't taken. We're giving it away. See, here it is for us to understand the sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. It doesn't mean we don't like our comforts. It doesn't mean we don't like our preferences. It doesn't mean we don't like those things. It simply means I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm taking up the cross. I'm going to put down something I love for something I love even more, and that's Jesus Christ. Mark chapter number 10, verse 20 through 22 says this, and he said to them, teach him, all this I have kept from my youth. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Talking to this young man who had committed his life to doing all the ritualistic religious things. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22 Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This young man had the opportunity to follow Christ. He was doing all the right things, but he wasn't willing to take up his cross. Oh, man. He was going to church. He was in a small group. He was on a serving team, but he was not ready to give up everything that he had for Jesus Christ. And what he communicated to him was that my possessions are worth more than you to me. What have you communicated to Christ? I love what J.R. Edwards says. He says this. He says, the one for whom the way of Jesus is more important than his own existence will secure his eternal being. Watch this. But the one whose existence is more important than Jesus will lose both Jesus and his existence. Can I brooksarize this statement for me? I'm sure J.R. Edwards is made way better, but I'm an old simple boy from Hillsborough, North Carolina, or Orange County Public Schools Education. What that simply means is this. This is how I say it. You can't carry your cross and your comfort at the same time. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you cannot carry your cross and your comfort at the same time. At some point, you're going to say, I'm laying this down to pick up the cross to pick up the commission, to pick up the great commandment, to pick up what it means to be a part of this beautiful multi-ethnic church. I lay down my preferences to pick up the cross. Lay down my comfort to pick up the cross. So this week is what I want you to do. Sit down and say, hey, what can I lay down for the cross? What, am I, what can I do? What can I put in place of the cross? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means you lose your reputation? 
Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means you lose your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it costs you your life? Saying it's not worth it. Let me tell you, if you're a new believer in here, there are going to be some things in your life you got to tell them, it's not worth it. It's not worth my relationship with Jesus. It's not worth my commission. It's not worth the work. It's not worth my peace with God. He asked the question again, well, how do we do this, Pastor? I'm reminded of the gospel, that Jesus did this very same thing for us. I often wonder, how does Jesus feel when we call, call on him in our prayer time complaining about how hard life is? The Lord said, don't you remember he was an innocent, suffering servant? He's a crucified Savior, and yet we come to say, oh, God, church went on too long today. Oh, God, I got to do this small group every week. Oh, God, it's love week. We got to serve from eight to eight. Oh, God. Should cross the bear, huh? <laughs> See, we pick up the cross when we willingly accept, even pursue discomfort for the cross. This is what Jesus models to us in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, he tells us, and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Do y'all see that? He says, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, especially in this context of generation, even our children, my job as a parent is not to make my children happy, it's to make them disciples. If you don't hate them, God is not saying hate them, but in comparison to your love for God and your love for your wife and your children, some people say, man, you must hate your children the way you love God. A better way to read that is Matthew 10, 37. It says this, whoever loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What's not worth it? And number three, we got to close here. We're closing right here. Number three, write this down. Good students, take, take notes. This might be the hardest one for somebody in here. I know you're in here. This is the tough one right here. Number three, the last term and condition you got to keep in your heart is not my way. Oh, come on, pastor. You're telling me I'm not first and you're telling me I'm not going to get my way? Yes. You're welcome. I came all the way from Hillsborough, North Carolina to tell somebody, you're not going to get your way. Look at the person beside you and tell them, you're not going to get your way. Oh, come on and help me preach this. Say it like you mean it. There's somebody here you really want to tell that. Tell them, say, you're not going to get your way. Put a little attitude on it. Put a little stank on it. You're not going to get your way. Here it is that if we follow Christ, we're not always going to get our way. It's right here in our same text, verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Here it is, church, and follow me. It's right here. He tells us that we don't get to have our way. I don't know about you guys, but I think my ideas are often the best ideas. I don't know about anybody else in here. Raise your hand if you're with me, but say, I, I think I'm right most of the time. Thank you, sir. Come on, come on, come on. Raise your hand one more time. Free yourself. Y'all see y'all slowly. Well, I mean, I guess so. That could be me. But listen, I think I'm right all the time. My wife argues that I don't know how, you know, I think I'm right most of the time. 
But the Bible tells us this in Proverbs 16, verse 2. A man's ways seem pure or right in his own eyes. So if you didn't raise your hand, mm, you're wrong that time. <laughs> Here it is that we're not going to always get our way. As we close, if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have to deny yourself and deny your way. How do we do this? Again, the gospel. The gospel shows us this, that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what he said in Luke 22, verses 41 through 42. He says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And verse 42, he says this, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. I love this part. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, this let me know that Jesus had his own will. Y'all miss it. Jesus had his own plan. He, he really wanted God to take this responsibility, this burden away from him. So just like that, same way, we got to say to God, not my will, not my way, but your will be done. The gospel shows us this. This is what Jesus has to show them. I think Peter misses something very important here because this is what I love about saying not my way. In verse number 31, let's read it carefully one more time. It says this, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Watch this. And after three days rise again. Oh, man, if I could, I would run around in this room right there. <laughs> Peter only heard all the suffering that Jesus would endure. But he missed that last part that said, and will rise again. Okay, okay, let me see if I said another way. I don't mind when I can say it's not my way, but Jesus' way. When I know that I might suffer, I may be rejected, I may have to die, but I will rise again. Okay, y'all, he still ain't got it. Uh, uh, uh. There's nobody else I can follow into the grave and out into resurrection. Okay, see, I understand that only with Jesus can I have a bloody cross and an empty tomb. So I'm willing to say, not my way. Oh, man. Romans chapter number 8, verse 16 and 18 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with, the, with our spirit that we are children of God. And if the children of God, then heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider, thank you God, that the sufferings of this time, of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This glory that is revealed to us is heaven. It's eternal communion with God. God, I love saying this now, not my way. Y'all still ain't got it? Second Timothy, I'm going to help you. Second Timothy chapter number four, verse seven through eight, Paul writes to his student, Timotheus, he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved disappearing. Okay, let me see if I can say that scripture another way. Brooks arising from Hillsboro. This simply means that the path may demand a cross, but eternity and destiny demands a crown. So this simply says, I'm okay with saying it's not my way because I'm committed to this cross. So here we are, we're closing. As the band comes and we get into place, you got to ask yourself the question, 
Are you really committed? Are you really committed? If you're really committed, where is your cross? We must remember there is a cost to every commitment. We are committed to Christ despite the things that are uncomfortable in our life. We're we're committed to Christ despite the fact that we're often committed to an uncomfortable church, being in relationship with uncomfortable people, having to do uncomfortable things because we're bearing an uncomfortable cross. Many of us are committed to the blessings of Christ, to the joys of Christ, to the grace of Christ, to the favor through Christ, to the peace of Christ, the reconciliation of Christ, the gospel of Christ, the love of Christ. But today, my one goal for you, Mercy Church, is to make sure you're also committed to the cross of Christ. Remember, being committed to Christ means being committed to his cross while knowing we have an opportunity of the resurrection of the grave. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're committed to you. God, I pray now in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would help us today to be committed to you. God, I pray that every person in this room would go home today, take some time and ask you the question, where is my cross? God, I pray now that every person under the sound of my voice would be willing to lay down their comfort and pick up your son's cross. Simply for your glory. God, I'm thankful that the gospel shows us that you loved us so much that before we could do anything for ourselves, and even if we tried, it wouldn't be enough that your son Jesus willingly laid down his comfort. He left divinity. He embraced humanity for us. And for that, God, we say thank you. Now, in the same way, as we call ourselves disciples, as we call ourselves followers, that we would follow in those same steps for your glory. Holy Spirit, convict us. Help us to take up your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.